This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Before this episode goes out, everybody associated with the Raw Milk podcast would like to offer their condolences to the family of Steve Jagielka. Uh, the former Accrington Stanley legend will always be remembered as one of the heroes who brought league football back to the town after 44 years. You'll always be remembered on the Clayton end and will forever be a terrace hero. Rest in peace. Rest in peace, Jags. Baby Kate, you just don't know how I, I, I love you so. It's the Raw Milk Podcast. Let's have it. And welcome to the latest instalment of the Raw Milk Review. Uh, it is the 18th of March, 2021. It is the day after Sunderland ruined St. Patrick's Day for all of us Stanley fans, plunging Stanley down into the doldrums of 13th place in Skybet League One. We're still only five points off the playoff places, but we are really struggling for form desperately and injuries are smashing into us at the minute, which what what seems like two probably every single game. Uh, things are all getting a little bit heated, but I'm joined as always by uh, my good mate Callum Gibson. How are you doing, mate? 
Yeah, steady away, Josh. Steady away, as always. Uh, I was feeling a bit better until you mentioned our recent form, but I'm sure we'll come to that in, in uh, due course. We absolutely will come to that. Um, so, as is the tradition these days, what are what have you had for your tea tonight and what are you currently drinking? Well, the uh, the days of the spring onion butty are long gone for the, for the long-standing fans. Um, Thank God. I've actually been to the chippy today. Babby's head, large chips, a uh, little cheeky sausage as a starter, and uh, I'm thinking, drinking a can of Dr Pepper to wash it down. Uh, after getting a bit too pissed last night, you're watching us succumb to Sunderland uh, yourself. That sounds class, mate. Did you get that from you, our, our mates at York Street? Indeed. Did indeed. A fine Super. establishment. A fine establishment. Uh, so I had, well, for, so for my t- I'm on a bit of a health kick at the minute. And when I say health kick, I mean I'm trying to lose as much fat as I can before we open up and we're allowed to go to the pubs again. Um, so tonight I just had like chicken breasts in a bit of a stir fry. Now that will shock some people because um, I have said that I, I was I was a vegetarian, wasn't I, for a, for a long time? Uh, well, not for a long time, really. But um, I've succumbed and I've been eating a bit of chicken here and there um, as I've been doing exercise, helping me with my protein. That's what all the gym heads say, isn't it? Protein's the key. So I've been, I've had a bit of that mm. and just a bit of lettuce, really. Something boring, but I've sort of I have boring yeah. teas during week and then it. I treat myself at weekend to 13 pints a night and then a kebab and a pizza. That's the thing. I'm off tomorrow, so today's my Friday, so chippy tea's validated in that respect. Um, but it's like you say, the easiest way to lose weight is to, is to get off the pop, is to lay off the booze, but uh, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing well, that. So it, I'll make the sacrifices during the week, as you said. Yeah, I'm not willing to do that, to be honest, because especially at minute where I'm just... <laughs> sat on my ass at weekend doing nothing what else is there to do apart from watch Stanley and that's drove me to drink to be honest over the last couple of weeks um so let's let's crack on with it then um we've won two games in 12 um since we beat Bristol 6-1 at home the last time me and you spoke it was the night that we got a good point away at the league leaders Lincoln City we followed that up with a midweek win at Doncaster Rovers and things were looking very, very positive again, weren't they? Um, and to be honest, it all just—it's all just gone a little bit tits up, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, we got a bit giddy after that Lincoln point because they were top of the league and flying, weren't they? And uh, we've gone there and absolutely paced them and should have won the game. Really, I know we, I know we got a last-minute equaliser, but we should have won the game, as, as Corley rightfully said. Uh, that Doncaster game, perfect away performance got the goal, controlled the game beautifully. And you thought, hey, oh, we've got something here. Not only are we, you know, capable of playing the free-flowing football that we've shown earlier on in the season, we're, we're getting those 1-0s, we're getting those smash-and-grab-away wins. And uh, the little bitty at the back of your mind that thinks, can we do it, started to grow, uh, which I suppose makes the, the recent run of form all the more goal-in, really. Yeah, it did. I, th- I feel exactly the same. After that Doncaster win, um I was pretty excited, to be honest, because we we pushed ourselves up into the playoffs against a team who are still up there now, but uh, a team that are, f- are packed full of experience as well at this level. And, and we went there and, and we just played our game completely. And like we have done for, you know, the opening three quarters of this season, really, we were commanding, we passed the ball well, scored a, well, we scored a good goal that was really handed to us by pushing for a mistake from their lot. Um, and we could have got more, but um, 
there you go. That seems a very, very, very long time ago now. Um, we followed that up with a, a home draw with Shrewsbury and then a midweek loss away at Crew Alexandra 2-0. And that's where the trouble started. <laughs> yeah, that's where the wheels started to fall off, really. Um, ironic, the season starts to hit the buffers at the home of the railway men. Do you like that? Do you like what I did there? Um, but the Shrewsbury game, that was one of those games you won the up, 17 minutes gone. You're dominating the play, really. Um, Seamus scores a very, very rare outside-the-box goal for him. Um, you just got to hang on and see it through. Um, but, yeah, Crew was the start of... Crew was the first game for a long time where we got dicked and you thought we were second best there for long periods. We've been done and done properly. Um, I don't think we've really recovered from that. And I understand we are the walking wounded and injuries and suspensions, which we'll probably touch on later, but uh, it was the start of the rot. It needs to needs to stop quickly, really. Yeah, it was, and it, it comes thick and fast, doesn't it? Because, you know, I'm not making excuses, but we have played, you know, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, pretty much since we came back against in January. Um, I know that a lot of mm. a lot of other teams are doing that, but we had even more to make up with missing the games over Christmas as well as missing the games in November. So it's been tough. I mean, we, we went to Fleetwood and again, you know, we, we take the lead in the game away from home on a good surface, really, for, for, for what we usually get over on the course there. And, you know, we're ahead for what, all of 40 seconds, including the celebration. So that was that was a tough one for me because... I knew it would be a difficult game, but it's a team who were really, really struggling for form. I think when we played Fleetwood, they'd won one in 13. They'd changed the manager. Um, you know, I know they brought Simon Grayson in with David Dunn, who's, who's a bit of a Stanley fan himself. But again, in the position that we were in, when you take the lead in the game, we a good goal from Adam Phillips, to be fair. You've got to push on and, take that, and win those matches. At least steady yourself. You know, take the lead into half time at least. For them to hit back on us instantly is just is just really, really frustrating and really, really disappointing to watch from a fan's perspective. Yeah, it's poor game management, isn't it? Um, it's that old cliche that you're always at your most vulnerable when you've scored a goal. Uh, but if you keep them out for the next two or three minutes, five minutes, um, they start to get a bit scrappier. They start to open up a little more. They start to gamble a few more men. And it plays into our hands as it was. It was sort of back to as you were. Um, and then the momentum just swung then. You know, we had the backs to penalty save and they arguably had the better chances after they equalised. Um, but again, it's just one of those games where we took the lead, but we just didn't seem right. And again, I know we've got injuries with the walking wounded, suspensions have crept up on us. And as you say, you know, it's, it's strange. In a normal season, Tuesday night games are a bit of a novelty, aren't they? They're a bit of a treat now and again. Mm. Like if you've got fuck all to do during the week, oh, Stanley are at home on Tuesday. But I'm getting sort of fatigued a bit, a bit of eye follow fatigue because it's every Tuesday, every Saturday, every Tuesday. You're playing three times in seven days, Saturday to Saturday. Um, and the way the squad is, they, you know, some of them, you can't fault them for effort, but they're blowing out their ass. And when you're factoring again, you know, a few, quite a few of those games now, at least two of those games, uh, we've had to play with 10 men for long periods of time. It, it is starting to sort of, um, as we feared in earlier podcasts, that with the size of the squad, we might just run out of steam a little bit. 
Hopefully yeah. I'm wrong. Hopefully we, you know, we turn it around, but uh, it does look that way. Yeah, it does. And I think it's it's important to say that I think that, you know, realistic Stanley fans, you know, have, look, have looked at it and always said that. I know that we certainly have when we've spoken to each other and when we've when we've spoken to fans of other clubs that looking at the squad, there's not that much experience, you know, in the running and there's not that much depth of lads who've been in this before and have been through the run of the mill when it comes to sort of dealing with this kind of thing. I think it has caught up with us and I think that... You know, with the with the you know, it'd be good if if we did just have the odd Tuesday off where you know if, if you got a pasting on Saturday if you had a bit a bad result, right? Just give us the week, give the lads the chance to just regroup and go back into the weekend and go again. But when there's a game on Tuesday night when you've played on Saturday, well, you're not training, are you? It's back again. There's you can't put you can't you can't do anything on the training pitch that's going to right any wrongs. And if the lads are in poor form and they're low on confidence. Then it just it just snowballs into mm. what we're seeing at the minute, and I mean the Ipswich game for me that followed the Fleetwood match really could could be seen as really the turning point in our season, um, simply because you know we went into that game on level points with Ipswich, a win would have pushed well a, a win you know obviously pushed them into the playoffs, but a win would have would have pushed either of us into the playoffs. We were at home. We took a very, very early lead. And I thought to myself, you know, here we fucking go. It's on here. And we were knocking it about well and we were playing some good football. Um, and then, you know, Baxter gets injured, who has been an absolute marvel in goal for us. Um, and, you know, those ridiculous, that ridiculous decision even before that to send Seamus Keneally off that, sh- that was never a red card with the double jeopardy rule. So, you know, I tweeted at the time, I- I'm never ever one to sort of have a go at a referee because I think it's too easy to fall onto when you've had a bad result. And I think a few a few people are too vocal in doing that. But I thought that Bobby Madley had an absolute shitter that night. It's it's diabolical. It's unexcusable. It's a basic rule of the modern game. You know, every referee knows the Jeopardy rule. Um, it wasn't even contentious. You could tell Seamus had tried to play the ball. Um, it was just an absolute rick, and I don't know what's what's going through his head. How can you be a professional referee and not know that rule? There's no ambiguity. You can't even look at it as a referee's assessor and say, well, it's opinion. Because a lot of these things are subjective, and when you get beat, it's easy to blame the ref. They only have a quick second to look at it and it's subjective, as I say, but something like that. It's so black and white. You know, it's the equivalent of, um, you know, it's the equivalent of the keeper rushing out of his box, handling it, you know, and not being sent off one-on-one. It's that, it's such a black and white, obvious call that he's got wrong and it's changed the course of the game. And what made it worse for me was the second half. I thought we were still the better team. Yeah. I thought we had a, I thought we had a real go. The lads were blowing out their ass. Uh, you can't fault them. But for two sort of lapses in concentration, we probably still would have won the game. There were poor goals to concede at the end of the day. But yeah, season-defining point. Um, and again, what's frustrating for me is, apart from the Bristol game, which we'll come to, we're not getting we're not getting hammered. We're losing 2-1, 3-2, 1-0 all the time. Little mistakes, little errors. So we're not being outclassed or, or, or smashed. Um but when you start to drop down the table, any, any sort of player or coach will tell you, 
those little things don't go for you when you when 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 you're riding Heidi Q. So if, when we beat Hull at home, you know, the great Josh McGinnis, Josh McGinnis header gets disallowed. You know, things like that they go for you when you're up there. Um, but when you're struggling for a win and you're down to the bare bones, it just seemed as though everything's conspiring against us. Um, as it did again last night. But I think you're right, that Ipswich game, when we look back, it probably will be the turning point. Um, but I think we were right to get giddy when we did because in the back of our minds, we knew playoffs were a long shot. Um, but, you know, it's it's there. It's, it's there to be enjoyed and it's there to get excited about. <laughs> you know, we've not had much to get excited about over the last year. Uh, and we're in what, towards the end of March now? Um, and even this week, We've still been talking about the playoffs, which is frankly, you know, pound for pound ridiculous. Um, so it just makes it a little bit more goal, and I'm sure it's the same for the players when you're not actually playing that that poorly and still getting still getting beat. Yeah, and like you say, there, like you say, I, th- I think it's been it's possibly been a feature of Stanley football over the over the last ten years where. You know, we've been beaten by the odd goal that has been a lapse in concentration. The Ipswich goals were both set pieces. Um, mm-hmm. And then we just lacked that bit of fi- that bit of quality in the final third. I think that if you look through, certainly the Stanley sides that I've watched from probably 2010 onwards in terms of, you know, obviously not the conference season and stuff like that, but the sides that have been have pushed towards the playoffs, I mean, so maybe starting the year before 2011. Um, I think that, I think that's been a factor that's always been the case. I think that it's always been maybe silly goals that we've conceded here and there that have cost us ultimately. And then we haven't put in chances. Um, And yeah, I think that's been telling. I think, like you say, listen, we're still five points off the playoffs. The season, there's still a lot of football to be played. Like Coley said last night, I think that if, you know, Realistically, I'd have took 20th before a ball was kicked. I think that if you'd have said to me, you can be five points off the playoffs with over 10 games of football to play, I think I'd have probably, you know, not I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have bit your hand off. I'd have pulled your pants down and probably performed fellatio. So I think I think it's something that we, we still need to be positive about. We're on this yeah. dire run of form, you know, and I'm never one to say, listen, we used to play against fucking Otley Town or whatever but you know it's been a marvellous season we can't get too down about it but at the end of the day there's still a lot of football to be played and it is disappointing to look back where we've we've picked up two two wins in 12 and we're still only five points away from the playoffs so imagine if that two wins had just turned into four if that two wins had just turned into six yeah, you know we're six points. Then we're then yeah. we're six points deep into playoffs. No, you're right. I mean, I mean, reasons to be cheerful. Um, for me, I think the I think the the playoffs are a, an outside bet, um, but mathematically it's still possible. So you've got to keep going. Um, and to say we're mathematically still in with a shout on the 18th of March is an obscenely great achievement for this football club. Um, to say we're disappointed about being 13th in the third division of English football uh, is again a, an oxymoron. It's a fantastic achievement. And whatever happens this season, you know, we're at least going to finish top half, in my opinion. And that will make it the most successful season in the, in the history of the club, both both pre-Reformation and post-Reformation. You know, post 
because um, the old the old club never had a promotion. Um, but you know, it, these are the history boys. This is factually, you know, point for point, going to go down as the best team so far I've ever had. And a lot of them are really young. It's not as though we've got a team of aging pros blowing out their asses, having one last go at it. Most of them, apart from Nottingham, Keneally, you know, most of them are fresh-faced youngsters. A lot of them have played a lot of the football in non-league. Uh, a lot of them haven't played too many league games. Um, you know, people like Ben Barkley, Harvey Rogers, they've not played, you know, they can't have played 50 league games yet. Um, so there's reasons to be cheerful. Uh, if we can get backs to back again next year, if we can stay a bit more injury-free, uh, we've got fans back in. Because as Sean McConville said, there's games at home where I'm sure we would have won with fans. The 1-1 with Shrewsbury. Um, there's a lot of home games where you think just that extra little boost, that extra bit of putting their keeper off or that extra drive it gives them. Especially a small, tight ground like ours. I think, you know, the crowd's with five points a season at the crown ground. So we'll keep going this season. We'll see where it takes us. But if not... They've had a bloody good go. They deserve commending for that. Can we go again? Enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. And we have all enjoyed it, haven't we? Um, mm. I think your point about us get picking up home wins. I think that works in the. I think that works the other way as well. I think yeah. probably when we're away from home, you know, a few wins that we've had, maybe, maybe the lads buckle a bit under a little bit of pressure. Um, you know, as we saw at the Valley a few years ago when we were there. You know. You know, we went to the Valley and played them off the park this time. Maybe that doesn't happen if there's 13,000 there on a Friday night. Yeah. But what yeah, it works think? both ways. Um, I think I think you do. It, it's it's a really, really tough one for us as Stanley fans to, to really sum up because if we were a club that were more used to it, you know, we, we might be baying for blood. We might be saying this, we might be saying that, but... We are all realists. We are. We all understand what the crack is, where we are, what we're doing here. Um and you have to say, you know, I spoke to um, Neil Atkinson, who's a, a Liverpool fan for the Anfield Rap, who, who's, who's actually a friend of the show who listens now. And he said in, in his introduction to the, to my bit, you know, if, if Accrington didn't win another game until the end of the season, it would still be a successful season. And that's absolutely right. Of course it would. Of course it'd be a, a successful season. Nobody's saying that. Nobody's saying this hasn't been a fantastic season. It's been the best season, but it's the way that the season has played out to get so yeah. near and then do that. That's the tough bit. And we're in League One on on merit. And, you know, sometimes we need to think about, you know, you know, I want to win every single game of football and I want Accrington to win every single game of football. And that's whether we're in, we're in League One or whether we're in the Northern Premier League. And it's just a little bit of how, um, how the season... I can't remember where I was going with that, but um, it's just how the season's played out, which makes it that little bit of bittersweet. But like I say, it's been incredible. And like we've said, there's still a hell of a lot of football to play and but anything can happen. That's the irony, isn't it? Like you say, if we've been bottom all season... And we'd suddenly strung a few wins to go together. And today we're sat here 13. You go, fucking hell, what a great season. They've turned that around. My God. When you fall away a little bit, it's a, it's a little bit more galling. And it's a little bit more galling when it's sort of a little bit self-inflicted. And also, as you said, with the, with the two in 12 becoming maybe three or four in 12, when you think you've had that chance. Uh, I think Sean McConville said a few weeks ago that there are no outstanding teams in this league. 
and I agree with him. There's nobody who's come to Crown absolutely battered us and you think, bloody hell, they're good. It's very nip and tuck. It's very sort of, you know, who turns up on the day. Look at Sunderland. You know, I don't want to be that person who goes, we used to play at Banbury Bridge, but <laughs> there's no, we shouldn't be competing with Sunderland. No. You know, pe- people listening to this will laugh because they know all of a population stat, but it's true. Their ground is bigger than Accrington Town. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, they've got Aidan McGee, when they first got relegated to League One, was on a rumoured 40 grand a week Listen, in Division I, Three. I think McConville said, I think he's on about 11 grand a week. Yeah, yeah. Well, it took a wage cut since, but when they first came down, obviously, because yeah. they went bang, bang from the Premier League, it was still on Premier League money. Uh, Republic of Ireland International shouldn't be in this league. And actually, that's that's quite interesting because we he's been on fire against Stanley, four goals in four games, but we played really well yesterday and we shepherded him out of the game, kept mm. him quiet and he got, he got subbed off, didn't he? Um, and, and we did compete and I thought yesterday, you know, for a for a, a, a team like that, that on paper should be should be spanking us, I thought we were better in the first half than them and we had the better chances, but that's the way it goes. But it has been a fantastic season, but, you know, sometimes in any club's fan base, it, it, there's that polarising element, it has to be either or. You know, you, ha- you have to be in the... We used to play, we used to be below Great Harwood Town Brigade or this is a disaster brigade. There is a happy medium. You know, you can have one eye on the past but still be a little bit disgruntled at the present. Um, and I think that's healthy and I think it keeps us ambitious. And I think Corley will be the first person to say, I don't want to sit back and be a little old Accrington again. Those days have gone. You know, those those days of a clog is like Morecambe now. Yeah. <laughs> very good, very good. Um yeah, and listen, Dan Jewell said, didn't he, on 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 the uh, on the I follow commentary last night? There's no way that Aidan McGeady should be playing football in this league, um, no. and that's the reality of what we're up against, realistically. Um, and e- even sides like Doncaster, you know, you look at people like James Coppinger, you know, he's going to be on five grand a week. I have no doubt about that at all, hundred um, percent. So yeah, bittersweet. But we go again, you know, we've we've lost three in a row now. We got pasted at Bristol. Um MK we got beaten last minute, but you know, we were stuttering and we're stuttering, aren't we, with the injuries that we have as well. The forward line has been absolutely decimated. There's no two ways about it. Um I always remember when Macclesfield first went down into the conference before they came back up, obviously two years ago. They were relegated and they were relegated well. And I remember, do you remember the Northwest Lower League football show that used to be on um, BBC at night? I think yeah, with Tony, Tony Livesey. Tony Livesey used to host it, yeah. And they used to have that buzzer game and all that. Oh, yeah. I remember that. They interviewed a fan of Macclesfield and they, they were bottom of the league. There was about six games left or something and they had 10 of the first team injured. 10 people injured out of the first 11. And it, it interviewed wow. this fan and he said, I'm sick of excuses now. I just, you know, this injury thing, it's just an excuse. I just want us to, I want us to compete in games. And I remember it went back to the studio and whoever it was, um, it might've been Andy, Andy uh, Parkin or someone like that, just said, listen, you know, having 10 of your first 11 isn't an excuse, you know, especially aside in league two, you're not going to compete when you've got stuff like that. And and I think, you know, obviously we're not at that level, 
but what I've seen with the forward line, you know, when John when John came out and said that we had a 16-year-old as our only fit striker, I think it's something similar. You know, we've been playing, you know, we've been play, playing um, square pegs in round holes, haven't we? And it's not an excuse. Other teams deal with it and we've got to sort of work around it. But we've been absolutely smashed particularly in the goals department with injuries. You know, even Dion's been playing, but he's been playing with a knock. So, you know, you take Dion and, and Colby out of the side, you know, we've got hardly any goals left. So, yeah, it's been a tough one. Uh, it's been a tough couple of weeks. You know, it's all f- it's all just gone a little bit... We've, we've had the stuff in kicked out of us in the last fortnight or so, but... You know, plenty of football still to be played, and we've had a we've had a brilliant season. And it's been a season, really, when you think about what's happened, the football that's been played. Even though we haven't been able to get in there and back the team, it's been one of my favourite seasons to watch. Um, simply because we've just been fantastic at times, and you know, we talk about how much the, the club means to the town, but for for the shit that the town goes to, and you know through austerity and 11 years of bollocks and financial crash before that and everything else that you want to line up, all the shit that Accrington and Heimburn go through as an area to have a football team now that is a shining beacon and, and really puts the town on the map and is, is not just a town, a team for us, for the fans. It's, it's a, it's a thing for the town to be proud of. And that is with the community hub that we'll talk about later. And this is going to be this training ground and just how attractive the club looks at the minute. And, you know, you see that with attracting fans from elsewhere. Now, you know, we have the lads in America, the lads in, you know, fucking Timbuktu that follow Stanley. Now the club really has been something to be proud of this season. And the team has been absolutely central to that. And I I can't understate that really how much I think the team has done us proud this year as a, as a community because, yeah, they've just been fantastic and immense. Absolutely. Um, couldn't couldn't have put it better myself. You know, the, the town of Accrington, um, despite its proud history, doesn't often get a lot to shout about. Um, but the, the team, Accrington Stanley, have been that lightning rod. They've given the town something to be proud of. They've given the town something to to look towards the beacon of, you know, what can be done and what can be achieved. Uh, in a, a time in which the town itself has struggled, uh, the football club is arguably enjoying its finest hour and, and giving a little bit of joy and a little bit of hope um, to people who, you know, sometimes don't don't have it, you know, don't have it all, all their own way or the best through through no, no circumstance of their own. And we should be proud of the club and we should be proud that they keep the town of Accrington on the map. Uh, and we've got a team and a, a coaching staff who will give their everything, um, you know, for that badge and for the town. Um, like you say, it's been an absolutely unbelievable season. And whatever happens, if we lose every game 7-0, you know, we'll be raging, we'll be sat at home getting pissed out of our heads to forget it. But it's been a great season and nobody should forget that. Absolutely. So moving on then into the rest of the season. So we welcome Wigan on Saturday, who are in absolute, um, you know, a battle to the death themselves. Um, Still very much in the mix to go down. 
Liam's done a really, really good job there, I think, over the season, dealing with what he has done. Uh, Peter Murphy's on the coaching staff. Ian Craney's on the coaching staff. They've still got players like Cal Naismith. You know, there's no let up for us. Is that they're coming to do us over? It's going to be the first time that Liam returns as manager of his own side in his own out in his own right. I think he's coming here to do the double over us. You know, make no mistakes about it. They'll they'll all be up for it. Yeah, and I think those comments of the week from uh, from John Coleman and the, the supporters club Q and A were interesting. So. When Liam was in charge at Stanley, um, Cole and Jimmy started popping up, popping up at a few games, um, and the club asked John and Jimmy to, to come back. You know, will, will you do a bit? Will you help Liam out? So you know, they got in contact with each other, and Liam was obviously very resistant to the idea, as you would be, because he said, "Well, if you come back, John, you're just going to take over." And Cole said, "Yeah, you're right." So I think Liam will have that little bit to prove, that little bit to sort of um, show they can sort of outwit the old master if that makes sense uh, and if it's anything like the game at the, the JJB at which you were present of course uh, it'll be a cracker you know we lost 4-3 3-0 down was it at half time back to 3-2 Michael Nottingham gets a stone wall penalty not given uh, they break and make it 4-2 and it ends up 4-3 but uh, they're on a good run of form um, I hope they do stay up I don't want to give them any points but I hope they do stay up long term uh, good to the Lancashire side in the league, the Lancashire Derby. Um, but again, there are, you, you sort of forget, you've mentioned this before on the podcast, you forget how big a club they are. You know, the, the 2013 FA Cup winners. Again, it's another big club, a club we've played in Europe in the last sort of five or six years, coming to the crown. Uh, and I think it's another big test for our lads. Um, but I think these are the kinds of games the lads enjoy. And if we can replicate that Sunderland performance and just cut back a bit of the errors, a few of the errors, I think we'll turn them over. I think we'll do them. Yeah, I think we've obviously got the quality to do that. Um, you know, I, th- I, th- I think that maybe the players, well, they won't underestimate the fact that they're coming to do it because I think John and Jimmy and some of the older heads that have been around the club will understand that they'll make it known that, you know, Liam's coming here to do a job over us. Like I say, a lot of respect for Liam Richardson always got on with him he was, he was always a top chap with me um top fella to speak to always had time for you and he's had a really good career afterwards after us as well and um uh yeah i, I always I, I wish him all the best just after saturday i always remember um from liam's reign <laughs> i remember we played rotherham away and we got beat 4-0 and um the, the, the players are you know the players sort of Craig Linfield and, and that kind of player, you know, grafters who weren't the most technically gifted. Um, so we'd got hammered. The players are coming over to clap the fans and Lee Short's going absolutely mental, saying it's a fucking disgrace and this and that. And he's absolutely outraged. And as is your right, he's, he's waxing lyrical. Next home game, we win. <laughs> Liam Richardson comes into the crown, clocks Lee Short. You had a lot to say for yourself last week. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, studies, studies ground no lead to be fair and this sort of uh, you know typical Liam it, it was alright about it just trying to get a rise out of him um, but like you say a top lad Liam uh, riddled with injuries during his, his playing days but he was a great servant and also like you say uh, um, you know a conference champion as well yeah and, and came to us um, at a time where he thought you know he, he thought we were a bit of a means to an end he was just going to get fit for a, a little time and sort of propel himself back up into 
into uh, into maybe the football league, but like many players, ended up falling in love with the with the place. I guess. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, all the best to them. We follow that up with a trip away to Peterborough, who look like they may be the top side before then. So yeah, like I say, I mean, at this point in time, I think. I think it's just it's just a case of after three defeats, just trying to settle ourselves down again, get get back to basics, get get back to playing our game and uh, and scoring goals, and hopefully picking up a few a few results here and there. It's just like this team though, in it we'll probably get beat with Wigan on Saturday, and then we'll beat Peterborough, um, we'll beat Peterborough at their place, and then go on a winning run again. That's just we've just got a really good way of um, surprising us at the minute. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's 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 no rest for the wicked. It is back to back now until the end of the season. Yeah, just looking to elaborate on a point we made earlier on about Sunderland. Just had a look now. Um, when they came into League One, um, Aidan McGeady at that time was on thirty one grand a week. Um, the average wage in the Championship is seven and a half to eight and a half, and he was on thirty one grand a week in League One. Um, so that's what you're up against, really. Just to just to put it into perspective. Christ alive. Um, Christ it's on a bike. Not so bad there, is it? Bloody hell fire. Imagine that money. Anyway, um, so there we go. Yes. Um, I think we should do Fuller on a Bougie's Hall of Fame, don't you? I agree. Let's do it. So, this is his clubs, right? Preston North End, Huddersfield Town, Barnsley, Peterborough, Cambridge United, Swindon Town, Brentford, Wickham Wanderers, Shrewsbury Town, St Albans City, Macclesfield Town, Accrington Stanley, Weymouth Walking, Grays Athletic, Southport, Boreham Wood, Tooting and Mitcham United and Cheshire. The Honour Beauty Hall of Fame. The Honour Beauty Hall of Fame. You might fall on a beauty, but he's the greatest striker over six foot with a surname with awe that has ever played for us in the Football League. Six foot five, stealing a living. Do you know what? I've decided. We are going to call it after him then. What, how do you say his first name? Fallen. I always thought it was Fallen. The Honour Beauty Hall of Fame. You've listened to Fallen, top lad. The Honour Beauty Hall of Fame. Okay then, so it is the Fallen on a Bougie Hall of Fame. And this week we've gone for someone... Very, very familiar to us. And if you listen to the podcast, very, very familiar to your ears. He's been coming in your ears for the last couple of weeks. We've gone for current, uh, I guess, well, he was captain on, he's not captain, is he? Keneally's captain. But we have gone, I'm going to do that again because that's wank. <laughs> okay, then it's the Faller on a Bougie Hall of Fame. And we've gone for somebody who is still very, very current, still very, very familiar, a living legend in the Stanley ranks as we speak. Somebody who, once again, you know, we do this list, don't we? And then we overlook so many people that when you think to yourself, oh, he should have gone on really by now. He should have gone in by now. There's none more obvious than what I think. I think this man should have gone in pretty, pretty soon. It's, of course, friend of the show, Sean McConville. Uh, I've got stats here for him, Callum. If you uh, if you want to hear some, please, please do, please indulge. Appearances: three hundred and twenty-six goals, sixty assists, sixty-six. Um, wow. That is fucking mental, in it. It's some knock, isn't it? 
it's absolutely insane. And when you think about it over two spells as well, um, you know, just, just talking to him last week, which I was, it was an absolute pleasure to do. I know that you were disappointed that you missed out on that. Uh, you'll be in the next one though. It, it's really, really, it's really, really important just to remember that he is somebody like Coley who was seen as our very, very worst and is now seen as, and he's more than making up for it at our very, very best. You know, joining us when he did at such a young age, proving himself, you know, at every single level that we've been at. Um, I think no one's more deserving than it really than Sean. Um, yeah, what, what do you think about Sean? What, what are your memories of him? What are your thoughts on him as a player? Yeah, well, first of all, I've no doubt uh, that when he hangs up his boots, he will go down as the finest ever Accrington Stanley player. Um, if he keeps himself fit, he's well on track to break the appearance record. He's already got the Football League appearance record. Um, he could well break the Football League goal record. Um, those numbers you mentioned, to put those into perspective, you've got to think, you know, eight-tenths of those seasons were, were, were mid-table seasons or struggling seasons. So it's not as though he's getting all of those goals in a high-flying team where, where chances come every two minutes. Um, to, to, to come in the way he did, to have that scepticism about, you know, you're just Jimmy's relative, that's why he play. Um, so even now, over a decade later, with a sort of scourge vacuum web, um, he's just an absolute living legend and he embodies everything about the rise of the club. The club and Sean McConville are symbiotics. They've both dragged themselves up by the knees you know, us post-reformation, Sean from, from Primark to being an established third-tier player. Um, you know, he's king of needle, as you rightfully said. Um, ultimate shithouse, which you just love to see on the crown. Um, and when he talks, you know, a lot of players have this sort of media-managed image now, don't they? But you can tell he does actually care for the club. You know, he's not a dickhead. He won't lie to you. You know, if, if, a, if a miracle happened and you know, somebody came in offering him 10 grand a week, of course you fuck off. But it would take something big for him to leave now. And he does, I think, um, see the rest of his career as, as being here. Um, he's a joy to watch. We miss him when he's not in the side. Um, he's one of the few players over the years we've had who can actually take a set piece, a few and far between. Uh, but yeah, I just love him. I think he's absolutely fantastic. He's a great ambassador for the club. Uh, and... Uh, Let's hope he's here for a long time to come. Yeah, I think you make a great point there. And, I, I, you know, I was thinking the other day, when you, when he runs through his favourite goals, you just think some of the moments that he's given us, some of the absolute screamers that he's pulled out of the bag at, at absolutely pivotal times are enough to put him in this list anyway. But the fact that he's has, has been through the been through the mill with us. He knows everything about the club. He knows how it ticks. He knows the people. He knows the community. And he knows what it means. I think you're absolutely right there. I think that he will go down as, you know, certainly the best football league uh, player we've ever had. And rightfully, possibly the best player we've ever had. Um, I think that's a really, really good point. Um, and, you know, like you say, that honesty that he has when he was talking to me the other week, you know, some of the stories from the old days that he had, some of the characters that he speaks about, the rituals that they go through on match day, you know, it, it shows us how far the club has gone, but has come, but also, you know, where we've come from and how, how, how the management team yeah. and the older players sort of remember that as well. 
And I think when you heard when you heard those stories, what, what struck me was we don't always realise as fans how, how hard it was for the players. Mm. Because as a fan, you, your main concern is for the club as a whole, isn't it? Um, and you think, oh, you know, the Stanley of say like oh seven oh eight. You think, oh, you know, it's a bit of a crack. They come, they turn up, they get their three hundred quid a week, and they have a piss up, and it's a bit of a, a bit of a bit of a lads out in, and they didn't get paid, but they sort of enjoyed it and this and that. And it was interesting listening to him talking about, you know, having a child, worrying about where the next paycheck's going to come from, just being given cash now and again, not knowing when they were going to get that cash. Uh, and to stay with us, you know, through a lot of those seasons, although obviously he explained why he had to, why he had to go to Stockport, he couldn't turn that down. But to, 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 to stay for as, as long as he did, the first spell um, is testament to how much he, he enjoyed playing for John and Jimmy and how, how much he, he cares about the, about the football club. Yeah, and, and and even though you know when he was talking, he, he was he was sort of apologetic about going to Stockport even now. And you know, I I did want to make that clear to him that you know listening to him talk about his daughter, you know, having his child needing to support her, absolutely nobody in the club begrudges him that. You know, we might as fans have said, you know. Uh, you know, a friend of ours did write on Aki Webb, didn't he, at the time, saying there's no loyalty in football. Yeah. But um, that is true, but that's coming at it from a fan's perspective. We're not yeah. seeing it, the fact that they've probably offered him over double what he were on at Stanley and they've offered him, you know, the world at his feet, really. So it, it was refreshing to hear him, hear him talk about that and it was just nice to hear him actually speak with such a passion about the club as well. Um, I was taken aback with how eloquent he was about the way that he spoke about the people around the club and being part of the club himself. Yeah, and like you say, you, you'll always get a few spunk bubbles who um, the first time you left were a gator, you know, he's we've given him his chance and this and that, and he's fucked us off. He's just, he's just idiotic, you know. Nobody in the right mind. If you're, if you're at Asda, Tesco come in and say, right, you can do the same job on a more secure contract with trebling your wage you'd fuck off before they finish the sentence. You know, it's a job. People forget that. They've got families, they've got mortgages, they've got lifestyles to pay for. Um, I don't think anybody in the right mind blames him for that move. And if you do, well, you've, you've lost your mind, in my opinion. No, I think that's a good analogy as well. I remember something similar when Paul Cook went to Chesterfield and, you know, oh, he promised, he promised he'd stay with us for this and blah, blah, blah. And I just think... They offered him probably about five times what we were offering him. Like, just fucking grow up. Like, just grow up. Yeah. You're talking absolute just, nonsense. I mean, and to, to refer to Cookie as well, he used to come back in the crowd and he, he'd openly explain to you. you know, he'd say to you, he goes like, well, at Chesterfield, we've got, you know, four cooks. Just, just cooks, you know, nothing yeah. else. Just yeah. just four Things like that, it sounds daft, but it, it, it was chalk and cheese because you've got to remember... As fans, you look at it and you go, why are they leaving? We're a League Two club. But because of John and Jimmy's sort of genius, we had three promotions in six years. So what you ended up with was a, a Northern Premier League club with a League Two team. The team was always light years ahead of the club, really. Um, I saw a thing on a Bristol Rovers forum once, we beat them, and um, someone said, you've got to hand it to what Accrington have done there. They've essentially taken a Conference North team, a Conference North club, just about scrape past the ground grading regulations and now they survive in League Two fair play to them and that's what we did for a long time it was all hand to mouth um, you know I don't like to, to, to do the sort of over sentimental and, and talk about sort of the no running water and things like that but that's how it was um, 
Um, we just took that for granted. Um, and I think I've lost my train of thought now, that's it. But every player is ambitious. And if they're not ambitious, they're not going to do well for Accrington Stanley. If they come and turn up and just take the paycheck and doss about, nobody wins. You want you want players and you want staff who want to better themselves. That's what the point of the, of the game is. And anybody, if they were Paul Cook, would have taken that Chesterfield job. And anybody, if they were Sean McConville, would have taken that stopboard job. It's just it's just facts. Yeah, of course. And you know, you you just mentioned that they're running water there, and we probably as fans hear it. You know, make a joke of it in the crown before the game on a Saturday, but then we go home. We've got work on a Monday, and then we don't hear about it again until the following Saturday or the following Saturday after that, if we're playing away. So for these young lads who've got young families, it were an everyday thing, and. You know, yeah, anyway, I won't get too much into that. But like I say, no one begrudges him do it, taking that um, taking that opportunity. Certainly not now because he's come back and he's stuck two fingers up to every single one of us, really. Because I remember when he signed again in 2015, I was thinking, oh, Jesus Christ, here we go. You know, even myself, I was thinking, Christ, is he going to be up to it? He's not, he's not been back in the league since he played for us. But Jesus Christ, you know, PFA team of the year, 2017-18, rightfully so. He's been on absolute fire non-stop. His form is absolutely incredible for three quarters of all the games that he plays. He's on it. Like you said, he's an absolute bastard. Like Kevin Ellison, somebody like that. You know, you, you love to have him on your team. You hate to play against people like that. And, you know, he'd be the first one to say, like we just mentioned before we came on air, he mentioned a Grimsby game, didn't he, where he said, oh, I dived for the first goal. You know, and you just think, yeah, yeah, what a tosser if you hear that as an away fan. Absolutely magnificent, you know, he's just a realist. And (laughs) he's been, you know, he's been fantastic. He'd die for that shirt. And, um, you know, I think that the the answer, the question of whether he could be a coach and a manager, you know, if, if that is the line, the line that he wants to go down, I think it'd be the ultimate, the ultimate goal of his, if, if he was manager, what a story that would be. What a, what a story. It, it would almost eclipse anybody who's been at the club, you know, m- minus John Coleman, um, in what they've done. Well, it would eclipse them, wouldn't it? It would eclipse them. Um, so yeah, he takes his rightful place there in the Fuller on a Hall of Fame and rightful place as of King of Needle and King of Aki Webb. Just salivating at the, at the thought of Aki Webb haters having to shuffle their feet and look down at the floor as they uh, pass the John Coleman statue on the way to watch a Sean McConville manage Accrington Stanley team. Oh, well, the ultimate. Mm, I he, he, missed a, he missed a chance once and then he didn't say hiya to me in Asda. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, Coleman got four promotions, but uh, I heard him swear once. I had the grandkid next to me. <laughs> terrible, terrible, really. Beatty didn't do that, and he had lovely suit and tie and great manners. Yeah. I saw, I saw Sean McConville scored that goal against Luton that pretty much propelled us to win League Two, but afterwards I saw him spit on the floor. <laughs> yeah, Aki Webb, kiss my ass. Um, so there you go yeah Sean McConville very much takes his place in the Fuller and Abuji Hall of Fame and I think that'll do us for the Graham Branch Fact of the Week Graham Branch Fact of the Week it's the Graham Branch Fact of the Week 
Lionel Messi had a shocker in a Champions League semi-final against Chelsea. Graham Branch never did so, and so is better. Graham Branch Fact of the Week. It's the Graham Branch Fact of the Week. Very good. Um, okay then, mate, we've got about 10 minutes left. Uh, let's talk about this training ground. Um, news coming out of the club yesterday. Um, there's been an update on the training ground, which, of course, we've had a few different sort of areas bought for us. I believe one in Reed a couple of years ago, which was sort of a non-starter for whatever reason. King George's, which we were training on for a little while, couple of years ago before that went to shit as well and the good people of Accrington sped a lot of uh, motocross bikes on it and ripped it all up um, you were more on the ball with this Gibby what is the news really um, and what will it mean for the club moving forward yeah so this week they've uh, announced the uh, they've signed a new lease for, to rent King George's playing fields off the council uh, for numerous years um, to, to give the club a base. Um, it was discussed a few years ago and the deal was done a few years ago initially, um, but obviously the, the motocross riders and the, the waterlogginess and the and the, the dog sheep brigade put paid to that. Uh, but I think it's a big step for two reasons. One, um, it's great that the club can train in the town, which is fantastic, and have a permanent training base, which uh, Sean, Sean was sort of, um, you know, he was uh, concerned about, wasn't he, on the podcast, you know. Um, he was talking about how you know, he'd probably have played more games if they'd always trained on grass and not plastic pitches. Uh, and they've trained at Blackburn Rugby Club, at, at, at Hyams, at, uh, you know, um, Black, uh, Hyman Sports Centre, Wilson's. You know, you'd, yeah. you'd turn up one week and not know where you were trained. So to have a base at all is fantastic. Uh, but secondly, it just kills the conspiracy theories. So the good, the good, you know, ladies and gentlemen at uh, Accrington Stanley Community Trust, obviously in the last couple of years, have worked really hard uh, secured the funding for the sports hub on Thorneholm Road, which is a magnificent setup if you haven't seen it, uh, and one that the people of Accrington uh, and wider Hyndman um, can be can be proud of. Um, but the conspiracy theory, you know, your Brendas and your Ians on Facebook, it's going to be a secret Stanley training ground. You know, they were told very clearly that it's not. Stanley might have to use it sometimes, but if they do, they'll pay the going rate. Uh, with King George's being out of use. Uh, Stanley have used that more and more, which has sort of fueled the conspiracies. There, really, I told you, King George's was a ruse, yeah, but very expensive ruse. Um, so to have a proper base where the lads can train uh, will quell those conspiracy theories, uh, and also, I think it makes us more enticing to players as well. You've got a nice training ground; it's it's, it's beautiful up there, up King George's. Good little pavilion, nice uh, couple of pitches there, nice views. It looks professional. It looks nice. Uh, and uh, I think giving Corley and Jimmy proper tools to work with like that, you know, you forget they've, they've, they've not had things like that before in 20 years. So giving them proper tools like that will uh, will only reap the improvement, really. Yeah, it does. It, it will it will, it will will attract players there. And as well, what a street that is up there. That I think that's probably the nicest street in Accrington, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, Royds Avenue in Hollands yeah, Lane. Yeah, absolutely quality. Um, but yeah, like you say, the backdrop of it, it just adds that bit of professionalism. And if it's going to if it's gonna entice a wily old defender to uh, come and train on grass instead of playing on a, you know, training on a 4G, then all be it. I'm thinking Clint Hill a couple of years ago, who, of course, dodged us 
um, because we didn't have Is a training so? ground. Yeah, he do, it, well, so allegedly I heard that he didn't sign for us simply because he was his knees were fucked and he didn't want to train on AstroTurf for the remaining years of his his career. Um, so I, th- wow. I think, did he sign for Chesterfield? He signed for Chesterfield, I think, mm-hmm. who were training on grass. So, like you say, it's always going to be a plus. That community hub, I think that'll be on David Lloyd Way now, won't it? Was that announced today? Is that going to be the street? Yeah, Dave, Dave, well, David Lloyd Way, they're building some new um, new houses around Aki Cricket, Cricket Club. Yes. So David Lloyd Way will be up there. Up that dog shit path. Yeah, where it's all overgrown yeah. in it. They've started building on there. Yeah. Yeah, sound. Um, brilliant. And it can, it can only be a matter of time until we have uh, John Coleman Way. You know, John Coleman Avenue, after all he's done for the town. Yeah, and then, of course, um, um, Sora Brickcliffe Way. <laughs> yeah, that's somewhere you deliberately take your dogs to have a shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's just touch then on so as we say good news on the training ground uh, we've got a couple of minutes left mate I, I just wanted to touch on me and me and Sean McConville who's a good personal friend of mine um, we had a discussion about why John and Jimmy don't get touched on for the big jobs um, and it's something that I was thinking about this week more and more after he'd said it because you know obviously we only hear a certain amount as fans but it is right isn't it you know he, he was touted for the obviously he took the Rochdale job other than that I don't particularly remember him being linked massively with other right. jobs now a, go sorry go on I was just going to say that now I understand that he knows he's got a good thing at Stanley and he knows that you know all, all sort of hangs on his every word doesn't he loves him as much as the fans do almost he knows that he's got a good thing there and he's got a good thing there till really till he retires why do you think we never see him linked with, for example, for example, you know, the Blackburn job, the Preston job? Yeah, I remember when he did a Q and A once, and someone asked that question. They said, "What's the biggest? What's the biggest club that's ever come in for you?" And he said, "You wouldn't believe me if I told you." So everyone's speculating. This was before he went to Rochdale, and he said it was Leak. He said Leak Town once approached me when we were in non-league. Um, no one's ever come in for him. Because it's that thing, I think it's the Matt Letizier thing where people just assume mm. you're so happy there and you don't want to move. They don't bother making the approach. That's one aspect of it. The other one is, I think there's a miss, like Sean said, more eloquent than I can, there's a, there's a mis, misnomer, a misconception about the style of manager he is. People think of him as like a Warnock, you know, a great man manager, or Tony Pulis gets the best out of players, but they don't see him as like a great tactician or a great sort of trainer. Um, when you know Sean was at length to say how good the tactics and training between John, uh, Jimmy, and John Doolan actually, you know, actually are. Um, so that myth- misconception. Um, there's a fact that he's got that sort of strong will and sort of stubbornness that's been successful for him. And let's be honest, a lot of chairmen don't like that. So Andy Holt's a businessman, so he knows what gets results. That's all he cares about. And Andy Holt said when he first came in, if he didn't think Corley could have done the job, he'd have stacked him on the spot. Um, but he knows he can, so he leaves it to him. A lot of chairmen now are, are egotistical. They want to play sort of live-action Sabutio. They want to get involved. I mean, can you imagine if Andy Holt came to Corley and said, play this centre-half, that one? He'd just have to fuck off, wouldn't he? Yeah. yeah. Um, a lot of a lot of chairmen don't, don't like that. They don't like that aspect. Um, but one thing, I almost jumped in when you mentioned Rochdale, because there's another stupid bullshit myth about Coleman. Oh, some managers just fit a certain place. Look at Coleman. 
he left Accrington, went to a few different jobs. It didn't happen for him. Right, let's analyse what he did, right? At the time, we were fucked. We weren't paying the wages. And seeing that 2011 playoff team, you know, all but one leave, broke him, really. Mm. And he thought, right, Rochdale are bigger than Accrington. And they were at the time. That's just a fact. They were getting double hour gates. They were well-established, nice ground, etc. Seems fanciful now. But he thinks, right, well, if I go to Rochdale, I do a similar thing to Accrington. And I sneak a promotion. We're in the championship then. Then you're, then you're one lucky season away from the Premier League where you get start to get Premier League attention, don't you? Mm. If you take Rochdale to, to 10th in, in the Championship, people start to look at you, don't they? So he thought about that. And the uh, maybe a bit foolishly, he thought he could do the Great Escape. People forget Rochdale were fucked when he went in. They were like eight points adrift, something like that. So they go down anyway, not his fault. Uh, but when he left, they were eighth in League Two. And it transpired that all the, the teams that finished in the top three, uh, it, they beat them. Uh, but again, you know, he fell out with the chairman, he fell out with the supporters, just that sort of abrasive character that he has. Yeah, they call um, him the Scouse fraud, don't they? Yeah, it's sort of... Um, the the, the rumour is he offered a fan out, isn't it? He offered a fan. Well, that's, fight a fan. I'm going to get, you know, I, I won't put that past him, but... Um, yeah. But again, why not? Have you been called every well, name? Well, that's another that's another shit house thing in it. Of you know, yeah. you're you're an ambassador of the club and all that shit. I mean, if someone came up to you, you know, well, me, not me personally, I'd probably shriek and run away. But if someone came up to somebody like John Coleman in any job and offered him out, he'd probably he'd probably you know you're going to stick yeah. up for yourself. That's human nature. I don't understand this thing of just being a battering ram for anybody and everybody. Um, so but yeah, you're absolutely right. He sacked him when he were, like you say, eighth. Yeah. Yeah. They would have at least made the playoffs in League Two under him. And you're talking about a club who, before Keith Hill, had spent nearly 40 years in League Two um, so in a row. So what they were expecting from him, I don't know. But uh, So you can't really judge him on that. Went to Southport, did the great escape, kept them up on his own uh, without Jimmy. He'd gone to Port Vale. Uh, yeah, but they again, did, they, he didn't adhere to their family values. Exactly. So Charlie Clapham, the chairman, who Southport fans will tell you became a bit of a prick towards the end. Um, anyway, just generally they don't like him. Um, found out we call him again. Wanted a yes man. So they pushed him out saying, oh, he swears too much. Family values, X, Y and Z. But the, the fans were saying he's the best manager we've had in 30 years. And a few of them were saying, like, if we'd have kept him, we'd have done, we'd, we think we'd have done an Accrington and gone up into the league again. And he's a, um, he's a Southport legend as a player as well. Yeah. And then after that, he goes to Sligo for a bit. Um, again, didn't pull up too many trees, but also got them one of the greatest ever results. They beat, they beat Rosenborg away 2-1 mm-hmm. in Norway. Um, and, you know, I've spoken to Jimmy Bell about the party playing, as he calls it, on the way back. You know, absolute scenes, debauchery. But, so he's not got this... His, his track record away from Aki is not as horrendous as people say. And before Aki, you know, got Ashton United third... So he's he's done all right for himself, um, but what annoys me is if you don't like Corley, fair enough, right, fair enough. Don't you? What what great issue is when you see contemporaries who are nowhere near as good, you know Nigel Clough. I know he's got the family link, but he's done half as much as Corley on twice the money. Do uh, you, Mark, Mark do you Cooper, his you know? career comes in front of it though. Do you think Cloughy gets his opportunities because he's played Premier League football and because of his dad? It is, it is because of his dad, isn't it? But he's played, pre- yeah, but he's played for Liverpool, Cluffy, hasn't he? Yeah, but you, that's what I mean. You don't, 
he, he got the Derby, but he got the Derby County job, and he's only from taking Burton into the conference from from, from the Unibond. So he yeah. takes Burton into the into the well. It's over at Burton. Burton in the Doctor Mar- Doc Martin's league, so the Midlands league in mm-hmm. a way. Couldn't win that. So can we join the Unibond? So let him into Unibond when they shouldn't have done. Wins the Unibond. Um, spends ages in the com- in the in the conference. Technically doesn't doesn't win the conference with them. Leaves them when they're like ten points clear. Goes to Derby. So we get a non-league manager getting a Derby job in the Championship. When does that yeah. ever happen? Yeah. You know, would the would the would the the uh, the Sutton United manager get the Notts Forest job next week? No. Mm. So he's got that name behind him uh, and the playing career, as you say. Let's take that away. Let's go for someone like Mark Cooper. Uh, Mark Cooper done bits at Tamworth. He's at Forest Green now, plodding away. He got the Peterborough job when they're in the Championship. He's done nothing. You know, St- Steve Cottrell is an interesting one. So Steve Cottrell, uh, very similar to Corley, uh, got Ch- Cheltenham three promotions. So he took Cheltenham from the Southern League to League One. So very similar to what Corley's done. But then he started to get big jobs. Yeah, he got he got to go at Burnley. He's been at Bristol City, places like this. Gary Johnson. Gary Johnson took Yeovil up a few leagues. Uh, ended up managing Bristol City. That's that's Bristol City. that's a crazy one for me at minute. Lee Johnson. Yeah. That's an. I just don't see how that works. I don't yeah. see why he yeah. keeps getting jobs. Yeah, but Gary Johnson's dad took took Bristol City to the Championship playoff final. So it was a game away from being a Premier League manager. Where, again, with a very similar CV to Coley. Um yeah, Lee Johnson's an odd one. Did okay at Bristol, but again, he, he looks the part, doesn't he? He's young. He's got mm. these new ideas. He, it's trendy, isn't it? Certain yeah. managers are trendy. Yeah. Um, it, it, it is. It's, it's very, very odd because I've no doubt if you gave Coleman a Blackburn, you're not telling me Coleman couldn't do more with Blackburn at the moment than, than that Mowbray's doing. One, one win in eleven with a relatively large budget. Relatively big club in that division. Well, he certainly couldn't do any worse, could he? Yeah. But... Um, you know, Burnley, you know, Dyche has done phenom- phenomenally well for them, but, he, he, you know, his track record was one season at Watford and sacked. And he mm. didn't have a great play, great playing career. He's, you know, he's Chesterfield legend, but that's sort of League One level. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there's so many of them. And that's before you get started on sort of the random foreign managers that sort of pop up, even in, even in our divisions now. Well, you look at that lad who, who's who's in the Brighton job now. He, didn't he like win the Swedish league or something like that? Graham Potter, yeah. So Graham Potter never really played the game at all. Really uh, went to Sweden. Was Sweden took over? Took over a Swedish fourth tier team. Mm. Got them into the top flight of Sweden and, and won the Swedish FA Cup. Um, but again, it's Sweden, isn't it? Um, came over here. Again, did, did did nothing really at Swansea. Came like twelve, something like that. But we like your style of football. Have a Premier League job. Have a six-year contract. It's uh, it's very very odd. Very well, odd. it's an anomaly, but it's one that we are very very happy to see continue. We'll probably Indeed. release this next week, and he's he's just signed a three-year deal. Uh, the new Real Madrid manager, El Colio. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, you know, great player, great people. Oh, listen, Ronaldo played well tonight. Um, <laughs> Ronaldo, Ronaldo. I'm trying to get Sean McConville in, so he might not get too many games this season. I've had a weird with uh, I've had a weird with Marine. They'll take you on low off you go. There we go, mate. Uh, we've done over an hour there. Um, thank you very, very much for joining us, and uh, I will see you next time, Gibby. Cheers, mate. 
No worries, industry and prudence conquer. Take care. Up the Reds. Thank you for tuning in to Raw Milk. Our theme music is Mr. Powder by Deja Vega. Our producer is Scott Borton. Follow us at Raw Milk Zine on Twitter and Instagram and Raw Milk Fanzine on Facebook. You can also download, subscribe and like all of our podcasts at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Up the Reds! Podcast Network. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.